Thank you, thank you, worship team. That was absolutely incredible. Beautiful, loved it. Love worshiping up here at Hume Lake. It is, it is absolutely great to be here. My name is Chris Lankford. I'm a pastor down in Southern California. As was said, I've already been thrown under the bus because of the Dodgers. I heard several of you booing, but I am I'm gonna be speaking on spiritual formation and sanctification this week. So for those of you that need that, uh, you, you can come. You can come in the evenings and uh, we'll, be, we'll be unpacking that a little bit more. I'm just playing. Uh, this morning's time is uh, entitled, The End is the Beginning. Um, and I, uh, I have been a part of Hume Lake since I came as a camper in 1977, actually. 1977 was my first year here, and I was at Wagon Train, and it was, it was an incredible, fantastic time. Where's Wagon Train? Where are you guys? All right. Still a few of you here. Fantastic. Um, I, I just had such a great time, uh, but it was... Uh, it was later in my life that I would become a Christian. I'll, I'll get to that uh, in just a few minutes. But first, I wanted to, maybe, I have no idea. You know, this is such a, this is such a challenge, right? I, my version of ProPresenter software, which I know I'm talking to a bunch of experienced ministry people. So my version of ProPresenter is more advanced than Hume's version of ProPresenter. And so when I came in this morning, I'm like, I got it all dialed in. All we have to do is import this, and of course it failed. And are there any pictures of my family available? This is my family. We, we're very blue. Uh, no, I, I just want to introduce my wife. She's right down here, beautiful Melinda. Um, give her a big round of applause. She deserves it. You have no idea what she's had to put up with. So uh, I promise you. Uh, you will want to get to, uh, get to meet her. Uh, I have got two daughters, an older daughter who's 24, has worked at uh, Hume San Diego, has also worked at Hume SoCal. All right, San Diego, thank you. Appreciate it. There's still, there's still a remnant. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, we've, uh, my, my youngest daughter is in her, uh, going into her junior year. Is that right? Oh, my. So much money. Uh, her junior year at uh, Biola University. What? which is where I graduated from, it's where Melinda graduated from, it's where we met, it's where we met the Andrews, it's where we've met many of you that are ancient like I am, and it's uh, uh, been a wonderful place in, in our lives. Uh, Jason Andrews, myself, also graduated from Talbot School of Theology later, and so I'm thick as thieves with, uh, with Biola, and I know a lot of you are leaving in a week to go back down uh, to Biola, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before I do, um, I, I've listened to every opening talk from this summer. I've listened to every Sunday morning to every single person uh, that it, that is spoken, and I know you guys are in week ten. And I was on summer staff at a different camp, that apostate place down in SoCal uh, named Forest Home, and uh, I I was down there. Brian Mountain and I were actually on staff at the same time down at Forest Home. And uh, when I was down there, I remember so well my very first summer. And I know what it feels like to listen to a 10th Sunday speaker. I know what it feels like to just be like, all I want to do is go to bed. I just want to sleep a little bit more. I just need a little bit of downtime. I'm exhausted it's week 10. It's Metarosa. I feel like mailing it in with everything I've got. But as we always say, right, for these kids, for these leaders, 
for this speaker, this is week number one. And it's the only week of camp they're ever going to get. And you, you need to bring the energy that you had on week one, the expertise that you finally got to on like week four, and, and the, the rhythm that you achieved in week seven and that you're about to lose next week. All of that, bring all of that to bear on this Metarosa week because my nephews are coming up. <laughs> and just speaking for my brother and sister-in-law, they really need Jesus. Um, I, hope, I hope he listens to this. Uh, no. Uh, I am, I'm very sarcastic, by the way. And I know it's hard to track with a speaker that you don't know well. So if I say something sarcastic, please just courtesy, you know, huh? Great. Uh, just give me a little courtesy laugh. I, I do appreciate that. Um, I am honored to be here at Hume. And the reason why I'm honored is because this has just been such a special place in my life. When I was a junior hire at Meadow Ranch, I accepted Christ. And in my eighth grade year, after coming up here, I, uh, I knew for sure that God had called me to student ministry. I knew that I was supposed to be a youth pastor. And, and for almost for the most part, that calling never, never wavered. Um, I rode that wave all the way through Biola into student ministry and was a youth pastor for many, many years. And like Travis Osborne said when he was here, uh, I stepped down to be a lead pastor, stepped down from what I think is really the front lines of evangelistic, wonderful ministry uh, in the church, which is youth ministry, because I'm just too friggin' old and I hate lock-ins. And I, <laughs> chasing kids around in corners of the building, it's just not my gig anymore. I like my own bed. I, I mean, really, I, I know it sounds like grumpy old man, get off my lawn, and I'm fine with that, frankly. Um, you are younger and you love Jesus. You do that work uh, and do it well. Um, I've, been a, I've been a lead pastor at my church just over 19 years. We've been married for 29 years, uh, going on 30, just like the Andrews are. And uh, uh, just really, really uh, been an amazing, an amazing journey in ministry. But I remember walking on the road that's, that goes down, that goes right through Meadow Ranch. I walked down that road with Ken Poor and Buck Murphy, two of the leaders uh, at, at, uh, at, at Hume Lake back in the day, and, and I begged them, crying, to let me stay here, to, that I just wouldn't go home. I had such a horrible home life, and I just didn't want to go home. In my life, those guys were spiritual fathers. And I didn't have that when I went back home. I was the only Christian in my family. And I so desperately wanted to take what was here and keep it for the rest of my life. I begged them to stay. I'm sure they had this conversation regularly. I ended up having it with kids later in my life as well. Um, I didn't want to lose them. I didn't want to lose this place Over those years of becoming a worker, then an intern, I remember my first job, I made $50 a month. 
uh, as, as a youth intern at my church down in Mission Viejo. That was fantastic. Uh, $50 a month. I, you couldn't even pay for sodas with that. Uh, but then I became the uh, junior high director. I loved junior high. My license plate said, I love junior high, which when you really think about it, sounds very creepy now. <laughs> but, but back then, um, back then it was okay. You could say things like that about, no, I just love junior high kids. And people didn't look at you sideways um, and, and that kind of thing. And they were like, were your junior high years really great? Because that's not normal. Uh, no, no, I just, I work with junior hires. I love junior hires. Uh, I loved working with junior hires. I worked with junior high down at Forest Home. And uh, that, that, that was where God led me. Um, and I will never forget. How many of you are first year summer staffers? First year people, raise your hands. Oh boy. Listen closely. My first year on summer staff at junior high was the most incredible year of my life. The community that we achieved on our summer staff was unbelievable. I, I was blown away at the family that I had with my fellow, my fellow junior high workers, the team that was there. And that extended to high school. That extended over to what was Indian Village, which is the equivalent of Wagon Train. Um, that extended to every level. We had a group of people that loved Jesus and loved one another, spoke truth into one another's lives, and worked out the dirty details that you find out when you're a roommate, that you find out when you're living life together. I've got news for you, all of you who are summer staff. The people that are year-round staff, they're looking forward to next week too. They can't wait to get you out of here and get back to a regular rhythm of life where thousands of kids don't pour in this place. And, oh, wow, we got my slideshow up. <laughs> Fantastic. Do you think, do you have pictures of my family, my kids mainly? Hey! I know that's going to be hard for some of you to clap at, but keep going. Just keep going, and I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly buzz just give me, oh, my wife works for the Salvation Army. Uh, and that was at an event that we were at. All right, keep going. All right, that was graduation, Talbot. You, yay, go team. Ah, oh, this is me at Wagon Train. Hit the, hit the next picture. That's me at Wagon Train in 1977. Right there. Those are my, that's my family. Just keep going. What else we got? We got blue. All right. Nothing was as shocking to my system as leaving summer camp staff and going back home. I can say without any question, it was the hardest time in my, in my life. I was completely overwhelmed. I had been sucked dry emotionally and it left me needy. No, I, believe me, I started the summer like most of you, God, use me. I will do anything. I will not date anyone. I will be focused on you. There will be no distractions. I am not going to look at a girl distinguished in the word of God. No dating. Servant to everyone. I'm going to love on the kids. I'm not going to freaking date anyone. <laughs> By week five, I was dating someone. My emotional neediness had, had peeled away all of the good intentions that I had, and I had to connect. I was thirsty to connect. I was, I was dying. I was dying to have relationship. 
My team was providing me with a large part of that, but I, 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 I was so thirsty for more. I was physically smoked by week 10. Like many of you, uh, you there's a certain wake-up hour that you have to get up at, right? There's a wake-up call. Um, and, and you know that you're supposed to be up by that time because you have to go and maybe, like, like I did, I played guitar and I spoke and all that kind of stuff. So I would wake up like, right on time to do those things. I would wake up. I had to play guitar at like 7 in the morning, so I would do morning devotions with the kids. And then I had like a two-hour period after breakfast that I didn't have to do anything. So what did I do? I do what you do. I took a nap. And then I would, a little bit later, I would have to be doing something in the afternoon, playing games out in the meadow, doing something like that. And then in the afternoon, I'd have a little gap. And sometimes I'd meet with counselors, but hopefully none of them talked to me. And I would be able to go and do what? Take a nap. And then in the evening, of course, you got to do all your gig and, you, and, and everything. And, you, and then we can play into the night. And then you knock out for four hours and you do it all over again. Um, this rhythm is so ingrained in you by week 10. Many of you are going to go back to Biola, go to CBU, go to Azusa, and you are going to be sitting in the middle of the class, and it's going to come to nap time, and you are going to want to pass out. <laughs> you are going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to get hungry at all the wrong times, and you're going to wonder, what am I supposed to do right now? I don't carry around snacks. I've been doing summer stuff this whole time. You are on a rhythm that you don't even recognize. But in a week, it will crash in on you. It doesn't, it's not a popular message, I don't think, to say that being at Hume is like being in a bubble. I remember when people always said, oh, you live in the Biola bubble, right? No bad things happen in the bubble. It's all peace and wonder and daisies and roses. And I know being on staff for the summer is not that way either. Um, but spiritually speaking, many of you, have been cranking away spiritually for the last 10 weeks, and, and actually longer, ever since orientation. Uh, you've been cranking away for over 10 weeks, um, and you have been going so hard, it's, it's like you've been on, pardon the phrase, you've been on spiritual crack. You have been going like crazy, and you're gonna go home, and you know what all of those other people that are Christians are gonna feel like? Pagans, because they don't know Jesus the way you do. They don't, they haven't experienced what you've experienced. They haven't embodied the gospel and lived it out amongst all kinds of kids. They haven't seen the redemption that you have seen when kids come forward in droves. I mean, so many that they're up the aisle, they're across the sides. It's overwhelming. And you go home, and there's no altar calls. Nobody's receiving Christ quite the same way. And you're sitting in a class, studying church history, wondering why this guy named Augustine is so important to the teacher or professor that you sit under. It's a screeching halt. It's like hitting, it's like hitting a wall all of a sudden. For my entire life, I've wanted to come to the place where at the end of the summer, I had the opportunity to prepare a team of people for what they were about to experience. Um, I, I, I would cry out with Tertullian, the church father. I know I just made a joke about Augustine, so I'll just go with it and back up even further to Tertullian, uh, uh, the third, third century-ish uh, guy, uh, church father, 
who uh, said the phrase that most of you are familiar with. Uh, it is uh, the, by, the, by the blood of the martyrs or the, or the seeds of the gospel. Your blood is about to be invested in new places. Whether you're year-round or you are summer staff, in a week, everything changes. And so I want to call you. I want to call you to what the scriptures call you to. In honor of God's word, would you please stand? I'm going to be reading this morning from the book of Philippians. I am going to be in chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Oh, yes! Everybody give them a round of applause. They jerry-rigged it and got it up there. Now, it may not go in order, but they got the verses up there. I'm beginning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. By the way, I didn't have you, I didn't have you stand as, a, as, as a, uh, just a device. Do me a favor right now. Breathe out everything that clutters your heart and mind. Just breathe it out and breathe in this portion of the scriptures today. This is God's voice to your heart. Receive it from him. And as you change the position to stand and listen, set your eyes on Christ. But whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. There should be a parenthesis there, you idiot. Um, by the way, th th that's what he meant. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word 
for you today. Receive it from his mouth to your heart. You may be seated. It's a familiar passage. I tried to read a little bit more of the context around it. I find it interesting that Paul, who struggled so much in Romans with his faith of trying to work out, uh, you know, how, how, do I, how do I work and how do I depend on faith? How do I work? How do I depend on faith? Is this dependent on me? Is this dependent on God? Um, and and he, he definitely works that out in the scriptures, but he comes down to it and he says, you know, it doesn't really matter. Whatever it is, whatever is, has happened in my life, that is of any benefit, whether it happened when I was a Jew or it happened after Christ got me on the road to Damascus, it's all for loss compared to knowing him, compared to being in a relationship with Christ our Lord. I love how it says in verse 9, it comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That was how you received Christ the very first day you knew him. When Jesus reached into your life, and he took hold of your heart, if he has done so, on that very day, you were obtained by God. You were rescued by God because you exercised faith, trust. He was offering a gift. You received the gift. You did nothing to earn the gift. In fact, you don't deserve the gift. But God gave it to you anyway through his son, Jesus Christ, by the work that was done in his life on the cross and accepted in the resurrection. We celebrate in these things because they are central and essential to what? Our faith. To the giving of righteousness in your life. Not a righteousness that you achieve by doing well or doing good, but a righteousness that is given to you by God. A righteousness that when God looks down at you, he does not see you, the broken shattered individual that you are and that I am, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus standing right there in my place. Why is this crucial? It is crucial from my perspective because it seems to me that when Paul gets right down to the brass tacks of what Christianity really is, he says it's about nothing else other than the faith that you had on the very first day of your life. We tend to stack things on top of that, don't we? We tend to exalt people that, that are talented, people that know how to play the guitar or the keyboard or more very fancy-looking guitars. We, we tend to lift these people up and just go, man, I wish I had that kind of talent. We hear the voices. Oh, my gosh. It's like, it's like the voice of angels singing, and, and we hear the speakers. I mean, I listened to Eric Tonis' talks and got depressed because I have to come up here and speak. <laughs> he is such a good speaker. He is so compelling. I was listening to him on my boombox while driving around town, and I was weeping at the things that he had to share and say. I, I mean to tell you, it's so easy for all of us to exalt others because of their gifting. It's so easy for us to feel accomplished because we've been in a community where we've gotten to use our gifting. Not only that, our gifting has been set up in the most perfect environment, in the most perfect way, in the highest profile position, in the absolutely best possible scenario 
right? How many of you are going back to your church and it's gonna look like this? How many of you are going back to your schools and, and your dorm room's gonna look like this? How many of you who are on staff that, that are here year round are going to be looking at this for the rest of the year? You won't be. It all changes and it all gets much, much more simple, much, much more basic. What happens when the giftings of people are not the primary highlight? What happens when? Paul's answer seems to be, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter all the giftings and all the good things that you bring to it. Don't get me wrong. You want to follow Christ with your whole life. You want to be dedicated to him. He makes a point of saying, I am pressing on, but I look backwards and I don't count anything in the past as being to my advantage. Not the failures, nor the successes. This is going to be tough. You've been in one of the most incredible communities that you could possibly achieve in this world. You've been plucked out of your normal context, stuffed into, some of you literally, stuffed into small rooms with each other for the whole summer. You've had to learn how to live together, how to serve together, how to fight rightly, and how to love well. And all of that is about to be split apart. And when it does, I want to invite you to come back to the very basics of your faith not depending on the environment that you're in for the goodness that you experience, but depending on Christ alone. Depending on Christ alone. What is Christ calling us to? What is the solution to this feeling that we have that Hume is the best place on earth to be. It's the magical place to be. It's the, it's the place where the Holy Spirit is most at work. In my experience, in my life, and the reality that when I go home, things will be much different. See, I was going back to a home where I did not have a family that was connected. My mom and dad were divorced. Um, I was the oldest uh, son in the family. I lived with all girls. I felt isolated. I felt lonely. And I wanted to find a family. I wanted community. And when I went to summer camp and I was on summer camp staff, I found that family. Finally, I found that community. And then it was all torn away. Could I invite you? Now, this requires something that I don't think is IQ. It's not going to be something that you hear about and are able to just, you know, incorporate. It, it, it requires EQ, right? Uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, and, and I know when I was 20 and 21 and 22 years old, when I was, when I was on summer staff, um, my emotional IQ was, it was like that of most guys. No offense. Um, it was just not... I, my emotional intelligence was not super, super high. Um, I, I think uh, it might not have even existed. Um, I mean, the Andrews knew me in college. They're shocked that I walk with Jesus. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I had a lot of growth to do. I tended to try to lead with how awesome summer camp was, how awesome my experience had been. When people asked me about all of it, I would, I would extol how awesome it was and they would tell their stories, but I barely heard them because all I wanted was to be back in that family. I was emotionally, remember, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I was drained. I was 
I had been emptied out. The beauty of Hume is that it fills you back up right away. Why? Because there's a ton of kids coming later. And you got to be filled up for that. And so you just get into the rhythm of that. But what happens when all those kids aren't coming? What happens when no one wants to listen to you anymore? What happens when you're out walking around with a big security shirt on, telling people what to do? What's going to happen? In the emptiness of these things, can I invite you to embrace the deep neediness that is existing in your soul right now? Those of you that are my age, those of you that are close to my age or older, you understand what I, to what I speak about. Embrace your deep, deep neediness. Do not try to hide it. Cry hard at the end of this. Express how much you wish it could go on. Be desperate for what God has next. Because you cannot hold on to this. In fact, I would invite you to let go of this. I would invite you to let go of it and to just experience the deep, deep neediness that it, that it puts into the middle of your soul. Be emotionally empty. Be physically drained. Be spiritually spent. And come to Jesus and be provided for the same way you were at the beginning of the summer. Remember when you were making all your promises? Come to him in the depth of what you need from him. Dare to go home to this next stage of your life. As Henry Nouwen said, begging Jesus to make you irrelevant, to not depend on any of your giftedness. Is your value in what you do and what you bring to the table and what a mature Christian you are and how amazing the summer was and all of those things? None of it matters. Nothing matters. Are you going to go to Jesus and go, hey, Hume Lake staff right here? Then don't do it with your friends. You're going to go up to Jesus and say, hey, you know, I learned how to play the exact same song on the exact same night in the exact same chord progression every single week, and I was pretty awesome at it. I'm joking. Like, we could teach monkeys to do some of this stuff, couldn't we? No offense. Not the voice. Maybe not bass, but the rest of it, yeah. Um, like, you, if, if you do the same thing 10 weeks in a row... You should be good at it. You should be awesome at it. It should be absolutely almost like you don't even have to think about it. So turn your head and your heart to begging Jesus to live in irrelevancy, as Henry Nouwen speaks so clearly to, to connect the deep anguish that the world is experiencing. The world has not gotten any better since you left it at the beginning of summer. It is empty. It is desperate. It is trying to fill all of the God-shaped holes with anything that can be consumed. The media still is driving people to be fearful Christians are a pack of idiots, according to the media. Um, and 
they've got all the answers, and they certainly have all the criticisms. Do we, do we engage that world by being rock stars? Or do we bring the deep neediness of our souls and connect with the withering anguish of the world? The Lord clearly says, don't bring me your gifts. Don't bring me your sacrifice. What I really want is for you to bring your heart, the emptiness of it, because I promise to fill it, the neediness of it, because I promise to meet those needs, the weakness that is there, so that you, like Paul, can declare, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God has promised so many things that you have displayed so vividly this summer. Don't Lose those. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, was a uh, theologian in the mid-1900s in Germany. I know a lot of you are familiar with a little bit that Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. um, Wrote these words. So the Christian too belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life. And by the way, I know this doesn't feel like a cloistered life because there's so many people all around you all the time, but it is kind of cloistered, right? Like you, you live far away from humanity and you live up on a hill and you live in a little community and some of you just live in your little room and, and like it's, you know, maybe cloistered up here with, with everybody. So we don't belong though in this for the rest of our lives. But in the thick of foes, there's his commission, his work. The kingdom, this is a quote from Martin Luther, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? That was written in the 16th century. That is so much the world that we live in. Does that not sound like many of our churches who love to have Bible studies with each other but steer far away from the anguish and the difficulty and the neediness and the weakness of the world? I call you to walk out of here And to go right at that very group of people. But not to do so on your own. That will kill you. Nothing in the Bible ever happens alone. Everything in Scripture happens in what? Community. You've been in a fantastic community. When you walk out of this community, don't try to recreate it. At your school, at your, at, with your family, with, with a bunch of friends. Find the new community that God is leading you into. And do so as I, I, think, uh, I think Jeremy Camp, oh gosh, I can't remember anymore. It was a long time ago. Maybe Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, I can't remember, but he said, um, I, rather than live in the church, I would rather live working in a mission afoot from the gates of hell. Steve Camp, thank you. I would rather be right there, right at the gates of hell, working in a mission, rescuing people, than I would in the cloistered halls of a church. You are called 
to these things. And you are called to these things in a new community that you get to bring all of the goodness of what you've experienced and now share that. It will be different. It won't be the same. It won't be quite like having all these kids show up and just be waiting to hear about Jesus from you. But it still makes a difference. Don't retreat. Don't fall back. Don't let your neediness, your emptiness, and your weaknesses kill you. Because I got to tell you, I promised Jesus that I wouldn't date, and I did. And at the very end, I wanted to hold on so bad that I did things that I'm, I'm really not proud of. My last week at camp, that's painful memories for me. I didn't understand what was really going on in my soul. And if you're feeling that way, that's why I want to talk about Joseph and Esther this week. A male and a female example of trouble and the spiritual formation they experience and the, real, the results that they come to at the end. Because God wants to do deep work in you. Unfortunately, I took it out. I took it out on people that were close to me, people that trusted me. And rather than depend on the Lord, I let it turn in on itself. And I depended on my, my girlfriend. I depended on my other staff people. And it destroyed me. And it destroyed them. It says in earlier in Philippians, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours. It, it already belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, kenosis, right? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If the very first day that you met Jesus, you came to him with nothing, then the very best days of your life are when you go to him with nothing. If he transformed you on the first day, he'll transform you today. I think the immature Christian comes to Christ and has Jesus moments when they're up on a mountain. That's why high schoolers you could almost predict it, right? I, I mean, I'll be, I'll admit, we used to mock kids when we were, you know, we'd do victory circle and we'd be like, and I love Jesus and I want to go back home and love my sister and I won't kick my dog and on and on and on it goes, right? I mean, I, I remember, I, I know it's terrible, I'm a horrible human being, um, but we, we would listen to it week after week after week after week and, and, and you just, you're expecting these things. I think immature believers come to camp where they come to these mountaintop experiences wherever they are, and that's when they rededicate their lives. But the Bible says that the mature believer says that, uh, God, your mercies are new every, every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. We come with our emptiness every single day. The very first day you were saved, you brought nothing to Jesus. Paul says that's what you should bring to him again. Empty yourself. 
and allow God to do the work. This will be some of our topic this week as we unpack Esther and Joseph. Let's pray. Father God, I pray. I pray that every single person that is here would look ahead to the transition they are about to make and not look at it with dread, not look at it with sorrow, but that, God, they would look at it with the anticipation of what is the new community that you've called me into and how, how, Father, are you going to work through this new community to reach out to those who do not come right to my door to hear about Jesus, but I need to go to their door to tell them about Jesus. Because God, we believe in your son and we believe that he is the power to transform, that we are redeemed by his blood, that we are transformed by resurrection power and that God, we live not to fill ourselves, but God, to be filled by you. To not dig wells that have no water, but to be filled with the living water that you bring. God, I pray that on this week 10, as we venture into Metarosa, that God, we would be wholly filled by you. And that Father, we would walk out of this week full up for the task at hand. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.